Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed Word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. who's not just a pastor of only us. He's a pastor to many pastors. Amen. And if you're excited to hear from him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let's stand onto our feet as we welcome my pastor and your pastor, Reverend Gilbert. given us. Thank you for hope. That our hope is a living hope. In the living Christ Jesus who died and rose again on the third day. Thank you that we serve a God who is alive. Not a made up God. Not a make believe God. Thank you for your deliverance. For delivering us from destruction. And from the, for delivering us from the pit. Thank you that you are crowning our life with good things. And you are renewing our youth like, with strength like that of the eagle. Thank you for opening our eyes to see the entire Bible, the whole expanse of scripture to embrace every word of the Lord, including suffering for Christ. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank the Lord. You may take your seats. In the presence of the Lord. The scripture of the week is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. So let's go. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. Hallelujah. A lot of things are in this scripture of the week. That scripture is given by inspiration of God. Scripture is not anybody speaking their own mind. Hallelujah. So when you put tests, like for instance, look, people who study classics and who study literature, there are categories of tests. Hallelujah. But the word of God, scripture, is to be distinguished and separated from all other tests. Hallelujah. 
So even if you study classics, you, you have ancient writings, uh, Babylonian writings, Ugaric writings, but the word of God that has come down the ages to us is very different because it is inspired by God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. That makes it special. Are you with me, somebody? Yeah. And then it says, the word of God, it came to profit you. When it says it's profitable, it means it is to benefit you. Is that not so? Yeah. When you make a profit, when you do business, you make a profit. It means that you received revenue, right? From whatever product or service you were selling. And then you incur some cost. Is that not so? But then the revenue that came in, if you subtract the cost, the remainder is a positive number. That is when they say you have made a profit. Hallelujah. So when the word of God comes to you, sometimes it seems like it is taken away from you. Like you see the cost of it. You see the things you are losing. But if you put it all together, the benefits, and you take out what may seem like something is being taken from you, because the word of God sometimes has restrictions. There are certain restrictions for what you are not supposed to do as a believer. And so it may feel like something is being taken away from you. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's so also in the world. I mean, like I, I said the other day, uh, in a certain country, if you are a lawyer, you are not supposed to take a certain type of vehicle called trotro. Because they feel that the profession, you know, you are going to um, dishonor the profession. So also, every class of group that you, you, you join, there are restrictions. And sometimes the word of God may seem to you that it's taking too much away from you, but if it is profitable, it means that at the end of the day, the benefit is more than what you seem to be losing. Does that make sense? Now, it also says it's profitable for, for doctrine or for teaching. Amen. And it's profitable for reproof. Reproof. This morning, I was looking at the word reproof. What does the word reproof mean? Eunice. To rebuke. Yes. What else? Repudiate. Reprimand. Amen. To be faced in this house because I'm in facing. You receive facing. Amen. See, if you are a Christian, you don't want to be faced. You don't want to be rebuked. You don't want to be reprimanded. You don't want to be, uh, 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 and you only want to hear, you know, nice words. This word is right in your face. It's calling your mobile phone number. You have to pick it. Amen. The word of God is there to reprove you. Hallelujah. And you need to sit up. When the word is coming and it's for you, sit up and take it in. Amen. And it's for correction. It's for correction. If the word of God is coming and, you see, if you, when I was a child, I used to get sick a lot. And I didn't like taking medicine. Because the medicine you have to swallow was very bitter. Called, uh, what was it called, by the way? Quinine. Quinine. Chloroquine. And so sometimes I used to put it in the middle of fufu to swallow it. <laughs> Amen. And that, because even that one, if you're a child, you know, that thing can slip out of the middle of the fufu and then you will feel the bitterness. But if you don't take it, you are not going to be well. Hallelujah. And my mom, uh, if she listens to the podcast, she's going to discover that sometimes I go to the, we have a garden behind the house, I will go and throw it over there. Do you get it? No wonder it took a long time in some situations for me to get well. So the word of God is coming as medicine for you. 
But if you don't embrace it and receive it, you are going to continue in that situation. Amen. It is also for instruction in righteousness. The word of God. God does everything by his word. In fact, the Bible says that by faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 3, it says by faith we understand that the world, plural, worlds, were framed by the word of God. Amen. Of course, Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking believes otherwise, right? He was a great scientific mind in our century who passed away. When was that? On the March 15th, which I discovered was Einstein's birthday. But that's another topic for another day. But you see, when they talk of the Big Bang, they can explain it from the point of the Big Bang, but they cannot explain what caused the Big Bang. Hallelujah. So even if the Big Bang is true, is it too far-fetched to say that there is a God who preceded the Big Bang, who caused the Big Bang to happen? We believe that the Word of God is what framed the world. Amen. And then the Bible also says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was there from the beginning, and the Word was God himself. When God, God's Word comes, God is imparting of himself to you. That is why when you hear the Word of God, it is transmitting something spiritual to you. Hallelujah. When the Word of God is coming, it's not just air. It's like, you see, electricity, electricity is not something solid that you feel in touch, but it is there. Is that not so? So I want you to see that in as much as you can relate with substances and things that cannot be felt or touched, so also, in a larger sense, God and his word is that substance. Hallelujah. It is a real substance that exists in the realm of the spirit. And so please, when the word of God is coming, pay heed and accept it as the, is the, is the, the most superior substance in the world. You know, in metal, those of you um, chemistry, among metals, that some are stronger than others. And, and some metals can melt other metals. Now, if you pour one chemical on another thing, it can melt it. Are you listening to me? So substances are not all made the same. There are differences in the, in the power and the potency. But I'm telling you that the greatest power and the greatest substance and the greatest um, phenomenon that you can imagine that has superior power to override any other thing that is in the world is the word of God. Amen. So we're going to um, go into our message, what you would accomplish through the sufferings of Christ. What you would accomplish through the sufferings of Christ. If the word of God is to instruct us in all righteousness, we have to know the whole word. Amen. We cannot just pick and choose the one that are nicer to us. We have to embrace the whole word. Otherwise, what is going to happen is that you're going to develop spiritual kashoko. You're going to grow up well developed in one area, but the other part of you is not fully developed. So the whole word of God is what we are going to preach. Amen. Let's look at this scripture in Luke. The gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 31 to 33. Luke 18, verse 31 to 33. Jesus Christ was getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Okay. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Hallelujah. When you are going for a job interview, you are discussing your resume, 
you are discussing the things you have accomplished. Is that not so? You have to prove to your potential employer what you have accomplished, which is a good uh, predictor of what you can do for them. Because keep in mind, in order for them to hire you, you, them, you must prove to them there's something that you can do for them. Is that not so? Now, among the things that Christ accomplished was his sufferings. And you as a believer, Christ Jesus to us is like a prototype or like a blueprint or like um, a forerunner who goes, who has gone ahead of us and we are all looking up to him. Amen. You see, when it was the um, 2000 and was it 2008? 2008 elections. Uh, you know how, you know, it's often difficult to vote because the Democrats believe in justice and the, and the um, Republicans believe in righteousness. Meanwhile, one of the songs, I think Psalm 95 or so, it says that the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. Do you, do you get it? So that each of them has taken one wing of the nature of God. Are you there? Well, so I was um, debating who to vote for. Who to vote for in that 2008 election. But you had the first black person to stand for the presidency. Actually, not the first one to stand, but the first one who won the party's nomination. Is that honest? Because back in the 70s, there was a woman from New York, is it 70s or 80s, who stood for the Democratic platform and did not win the party's nomination. But Obama was the first one to win the party's nomination to stand for the presidency. And so as I was debating, I was, I was discussing with a pastor friend of mine who is also uh, a, a, um, a black person. And he said, my friend, we don't have this thing ever happen in history. So put your whatever standards you have aside. Because, you see, remember one time the President uh, Obama was being interviewed and he was asked a question about marriage and about sexuality. And he made a statement that I didn't like. He said, this topic is above my pay grade. I, I'm not qualified to discuss it. Do you get it? And I said, but this guy is a Christian. Why is he saying it's above his pay grade? So I had developed an aversion for his candidacy. But when I was speaking to my friend, the pastor, he said, look, this is our chance. The first time a black person is standing this person is not going to be what? A forerunner for all our children who are growing in this country. They can look up to and say that if people are making fun of us, our race and our color, that we are some type of subservient beneath the surface, below low-grade human being. If a black person becomes the president of the U.S. of A, the what? The land of what? The land of the free and the home of what? They're brave. And the, the most powerful nation in the world. No one can laugh at black people anymore. So he convinced me on that. <laughs> Amen. Obama was like the forerunner. That he said that our children growing up here, they can look up to him. That me too, I can be there. So this is the picture you and I have of Christ. That Christ, Jesus. You see, we often forget that. You see, you know, the Bible says in uh, Isaiah 9, says that, you know, towards a, a what? A child is born, a son is given. Uh, what are the, the next ones? The kingdom shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called what? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. So mighty God. So, so he's Emmanuel. God is what? With us. Mighty God. So you see, it is easy to 
relate to Christ as God. Most of us, see, we know, of course, he is God. Is that not so? But then the whole mystery of the incarnation, the whole mystery of the, of the immaculate conception was that he became a man. And the scripture says in Hebrews that he went through all the, all the temptations of a man. So in other words, if Christ came and he was exempted from the sufferings of a man and, and the temptations of a man, then we couldn't congratulate him that he has done well. Even though he was God, he put aside his what? Divine attributes and operated as a man under the unction of the Holy Spirit. That is why you and I can look up to him. Because how many have been God before? You have never been God before and you will never be God. There is only one God. Hallelujah. But when you think of Christ as a man, and that even though he was God, Philippians tells us that he put aside, he, said he did not think his divine nature something to grasp. So he put it aside, and then he decided to act as a man, using God's help to go through what every human being is supposed to go through. So that when you think of that, then you see that if Christ did it, you can also do it. Hallelujah. If Christ used his divine uh, attributes as God, to overcome the devil and to, and to be obedient to God, then you and I have an excuse for not being able to obey God. Because you are not God and you never be God. But then if you can understand that he is the son of man, he called himself often the son of man. Because he came, took on all the frailties and the weaknesses of man. Hallelujah. And so if, if a, a young man growing up after a certain age begins to have certain gyrations in their body, he felt it. Hallelujah. Is that not so? He felt it. He felt it. I mean, he was hanging around with Martha and Lazarus and all that. He was attracted to girls. Amen. Amen. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you have a, uh, if you have a, a young uh, son or a young person growing up, and then you know they, they don't seem to have any. At that point, as a parent, you should get worried. I mean, there has to be something that means that the person is interested in, because we want people to be interested in the opposite sex. That is the natural way. If the brother is only interested in guys, it's a problem for a parent. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. One guy, he went to uh, see Archbishop uh, Nick. I think he was maybe 18 or so. He said something, I wake up and I, I, I have a, uh, how do you call it, an erection. And I'm feeling, I've been praying in tongues and I'm praying and praying. He said, brother, this is not something to pray, pray against. In fact, if this thing doesn't work, we have to pray for it to happen one day for you. So it's not, some, it's a, it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a natural development that you are going through. But he, he said, don't let your erection determine your direction. That's the only thing you need to remember. <laughs> Amen. Are you listening to me? So what I'm saying is that, uh, well, of course, sexual temptation is not the only temptation. What other temptations are there? Stealing. If you see something that belongs to someone, you may be tempted to steal all. You may not steal, but you may covet it in your heart. Hallelujah. What I'm telling you is that the Bible said Christ Jesus was tempted in all areas as a man, just like all of us. Is that not so? Some of you don't seem to believe it. You would think that because he's the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, he didn't have temptations. He did. In fact, on the temptation, the first temptation was to convert stone to bread, to eat. It means that he felt hunger. Because something that you don't feel, it cannot be a temptation for you. Amen. Are you listening to me? So, what we are saying is that all the temptations of Christ and all the suffering he went through, it was a pattern for you as a believer. And now, as Christ went through it and 
endured, you also must be ready to go through some sufferings for the sake of Christ. Hallelujah. Any type of gospel, any type of Christian message that does not speak about Christian suffering is a false, a half-truth. It's, 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 a, it's not a complete message of the Bible. So, look at the scripture. Okay, let's go to verse 32. He begins to describe the sufferings that he was going to go through. For he will be delivered. Christ is speaking about his own. He's prophesying about his own future. He will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. For the sake of Christ, you may be mocked. You may be insulted. Amen. For the sake of Christ, you may be mocked and you may be insulted. If you are part of somebody, you shouldn't be ashamed of their suffering. Hallelujah. If you are married to someone, you suffer with them. As believers, we are married to Christ. And so we are not supposed to, I mean, if you are ashamed of your spouse in public, then the love is not genuine. Amen. If there is something about me, I will need you to stand by my side and let's face the public together. Amen. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Somebody said, well, well excuse, I mean, please don't add me to this. Most of us are not going to be scourged and killed. But there is a suffering that we must endure for the sake of Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. So as they are bringing it up, remember last week we started going down the things Christ suffered. To prepare us for what you and I will suffer. We talked about Christ suffered temptation. If Christ suffered temptation, you will suffer temptation. Hallelujah. You will be tempted to do some things. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. So Christ endured temptation. Enduring temptation is an accomplishment of the sufferings of Christ. As a Christian, when you endure temptation, you are accomplishing something in Christ. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He said that if you are being tried, if you are going through some sufferings, don't think it strange. As though some strange thing happened to you. This is Peter writing to believers. Verse 13. But rejoice, he said, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. See, it says, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, rejoice. The New American Standard Version puts it this way. To the degree to which you partake of Christ's sufferings, rejoice. In other words, let your rejoicing be in proportion to how far of Christ's sufferings you participate in. So the big question is, what are the things we rejoice about recently? I mean, if you have not had any sufferings because you are a believer, and you are rejoicing only about the pleasant experiences of life, then this scripture is going to stand in your face. Amen. When we appear before God, every word of God is going to judge us. One day Jesus said, I am not going to judge you, but my word will judge you. The Bible is telling us that when you suffer for the sake of Christ, it is cause for rejoicing. When they arrested Peter and John and they whipped them, they, the Bible says that they were happy that they have suffered for the sake of Christ. God is lifting our profile up. Hallelujah. Because in a house, there are, in every house, there are, there are 
among the children there are, there are uh, stages and different levels. The ones that are babies, all they want is candy. Do you get it? Are you following? All they want is like, because babies sometimes rule the house. Sometimes they cannot speak, but they rule the house. Because everybody drops everything to attend to them. Are you following? The baby has just been changed. They, uh, and then the next time, they are crying. Maybe they are hungry. You drop everything. You are trying to cook. You are trying to put something on fire. Now you drop and go attend to the baby. You come back. That's the baby stage. At, at that stage, you can afford to do that. But as the child is growing up, and they get to two and three, and they are being potty trained. Do you get it? At that stage, they need to be told, that, look, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> okay? I mean, at, at some point, you need to be able to say, I need to go. Because we can't, right now, we, are going, we, are, we have a very important journey. We are about to step out. That very moment we go to the car, that's when we smell something bad. We have to go back to the house and change it. No, we can't. Have, so sometimes the child, you have to be strong. Because as they are, they are beginning to grow, then you begin to what? You begin to layer them out. Hallelujah. Now, a, t- a time comes, a child gets to an age where they have to contribute to the program. Sometimes they contrib- contribute to money or they contribute work in work. Is that not so? Are you following what I'm saying? As children of God, we are different grades. And so there are some who have just come in the body of Christ. They have just come. We have to, we have to help them develop their strength and their, to be able to stand. But if we have been in the church for a while, then we are ready for what? Mature instruction. Hallelujah. That part of following Christ is that we, we should do what? We should partake of his sufferings. Partake of his sufferings. A people who can partake of the sufferings of Christ, like a child growing up in now in their teenage, and, the, and the, they notice that the parents are going through some things. They say, because of what I can see you are going, uh, this thing is something is required, but actually I can do without it. So this, uh, I'm not going to ask money. It means that the child has begun to think that, look, money just don't grow on trees. The child has begun to think that I am sharing in your sufferings. Hallelujah. A child that is maturing gets to a place where they can understand that, oh, you are going through this, you are going through that. Because of this, this thing can, can wait. But a child who is still a baby, acting like a baby, a 13-year, 14-year-old, 17-year-old, acting like a baby, they think that everything should stop, and this thing that I need, I need it now. Amen. Are you listening to me? As a believer, as a Christian, as you are growing in your Christian profile, you begin to understand the full spectrum, the full description of what your role is as a follower of Christ. That it involves a time when you will take on some suffering for the sake of Christ. For who? For the body of Christ. For who? For younger ones in the body. Hallelujah. Next verse. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed. So you see, blessing is only when, not only when you get a car, a new car. Are you listening to me? Is this preaching too bad for you? But it is the word of God. There's nothing else I can do. You see, you see, sometimes, sometimes when you take some pill, sometimes they put it in a, like, lately they've introduced some uh, vitamins, right? Because some vitamins, when you swallow it, the aftertaste is bad. But they've introduced vitamins in gummy format. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Which you chew, you don't even know you're taking any supplement. Is that not so? But not everything can be put in gummy format. Some of it, it has to come in the raw state. Amen. And so, it's a, if you are reproached for the sake of Christ, 
blessed are you. So you see, when we, we have to now redefine what blessing is. When we participate in the word of God, ask yourself, this day, this month of March, today is what? Is it 17th? 18th. Is today 18th? 18th of March, since the new year began, which verse have I practiced? Which suffering of Christ have I endured? Amen. Yesterday I met somebody at a function and, and she said, oh, your wife has invited me to church but I have not been able to come. I said, you know what? The year is very young. We are only in March. So you still have nine months to come to church. Hallelujah. So if you have not practiced any sufferings of Christ, the year is still very young. You still have the ability to do it. Amen. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. You see, sometimes we have our own version of reality that we have imagined and formed. But when we hear the word of God, it resets our eyes to see reality. The extent to which you are willing to die, that is when your real life begins. Amen. The mystery of Christ and of the cross the extent to which you are willing to yield to God's agenda and to put your own on hold, that is when your real life begins. When the scripture says that your life is hid in Christ, what it means is that, you see, your life that you, 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 you as you know it, that's not the real life. It's just a phantom life. It's just a shadowy life. It's just a flaky life. The real life we have is hid in Christ. Now, when we are able to yield ourselves to Christ and for his purpose and say no to yourself and say yes to God that because God requires this I would I would I would stop this your real life begins what seems like enjoyable is just a waste of time and a waste of yourself hallelujah so blessings come for being reproached for Christ look at the look at the end it says that uh, let's go to the next verse but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Amen. <laughs> as a busybody. So, so in other words, the suffering we are talking about, we are not talking about universal suffering. There are some sufferings that come to you because you made yourself a busybody in other people's matters. Or an evildoer. There are some things when you do it brings sufferings on you. That's not what we are talking about. If you are doing those, of course, you can repent and God will help you. But it's talking about some things that come upon you because you are a follower of Christ. That because you are a follower of Christ, certain temptations will come to you. Now let's look at another thing that comes to you that you are supposed to suffer. Things Christ endured. We are talking about what you would accomplish through the sufferings of Christ. Is there anyone here who... Um, find this a bit of a problem. <laughs> I was watching a movie and um, one guy kidnapped some people and he started to tell what is going to happen to them. And then at some point he said, uh, some of you may die. And then there's a man who lived there and he said, excuse me, I don't want to die. Please exclude me on that list. <laughs> Amen. Look at this scripture. The things Christ suffered. The second point is enduring pressure. So look at this scripture, Luke chapter 12, 
verse 50. Luke 12, 50. So the first point we said that we, do, we should suffer, Christ laid this example for us. The first point was that Christ endured temptation. So enduring temptation is an accomplishment of the sufferings of Christ. That's what we've been doing so far. Number two, enduring pressure is an accomplishment of the sufferings of Christ. Part of you as a believer is that you endure pressure. Hallelujah. Luke 12 and 50. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. He's talking about a baptism he's going to accomplish. When he was saying this, he had already been baptized in the Jordan. Is that not so? So this baptism Jesus is speaking about, he was speaking about his cross. Hallelujah. He said that as I think about the baptism, as I think about going to Jerusalem to suffer, what is his mood? He's distressed. See, that also tells you that he was human. Amen. If you are distressed, sometimes as a result of being a Christian, because for instance, being a Christian means that you are going to pay your tithe. Is that not so? But paying your tithe can, it, it, it can be tight. Tight and tight. Tight and tight. It makes your money a bit tight. So, it, it, you can be financially distressed if you want to obey God. Hallelujah. And sometimes, let me give you another practical example. You can have two young people who are not married, right? And they, they want to marry one day, like they are in a relationship. Are you there? Dear beloveds, yes. And then this one is renting a house at Tamarack Circle. For how much a month? 550 a month. Is it one bedroom? One bedroom, 550 a month. No basement. And then the other one lives at Pickerington. Are you there? Lives at Pickerington. And you are renting a house there. How much is one, one room there? 965. Hey, I didn't know Pickerington is that expensive like that. Wow. So the marriage is what? In seven months' time. And you've started marriage counseling. We know that you're going to get married. No two ways about that. But when you do the logic, we are going to be married in seven months. What sense does it make for me to also keep uh, an apartment at Pickerington? Are you there? And be paying $965 when I could have lived at Tamarack Circle, which is also close to church. Because not only the rent, but also from Pickerington to 437A Cow Road, it's also more gas you are going to spend. So, logically speaking, Brother Francis, am I not saying something logical? Look, let me what? Move in and join you in your apartment at Tamarack Circle. After all, what? We are going to get married. Amen. <laughs> Madam Sally, am I saying something bad? I mean, does it not make human sense? Does it not make sense logically to try and save money? And the wedding is not cheap. Look, somebody is going to do what they say, well, we are going to do a simple wedding. There's nothing like a simple wedding. <laughs> of course, you can have a very simple wedding. But usually it starts as something small, but then before you know it, it has blown up. So you need money. You need to save money. So what I'm saying is that with this type of logic, it makes all the sense in the world to move in from Pekintin and join your beloved Atamarak Circle. But if you want to live right for God, you tell yourself that as I'm going to live together with this person, what is about to happen there? And the logic is that, look, after all, we are going to get married anyway. So what are we not going to see? <laughs> Small topic. <laughs> but you see, the Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance. 
and the first fruits of all your increase. So that even though it may seem logical, it may seem economical, if you want to honor the Lord and also honor your parents and honor other people around you, you would wait. Okay? And the $965 is a lot of money, but it can cause you distress. We are talking about things you suffer because you are a Christian. If you don't want to suffer, any, Christ was about to go to the cross. As he thinks about all the pressure, all the insult, and all those things, he said, I am in distress. Hallelujah. When you understand that as a believer, your life is not your own. You live for another's pleasure. In, in Revelation 4, 11, the scripture says that he created us for his pleasure. Amen. Most of us don't realize that we were created for God's pleasure. That we were, we were, we were supposed to dance for him to laugh. When I was growing up, there was a, a man who was selling medicine in the, in, the, in, the, in the lorry park, in the car park. And he had an, a, a monkey. Do you get it? And this monkey's job was to dance, and the man would be singing some song. He had a, a metal thing on his uh, fingers. He would kick, kick, kick it like this, conquer. And then the monkey would be dancing, and he did that to attract, attract crowds. So that as people gather, because of the monkey, they watch the monkey a little bit, then he releases the, the main reason why he's there. He was selling some type of medicine. Hallelujah. Amen. You and I, I'm not saying you're a monkey. Don't go home and say we came to church and Reverend said we are monkeys. What I'm saying is that Revelation 4, 11 said we were created for God's pleasure. Amen. Hallelujah. How much pleasure have you given to God lately? What pleasure are we bringing to God? What is the pleasure we are bringing to God? Hallelujah. If you understand and embrace that your life no longer belongs to you, when Christ redeemed you with his blood, you belong to him. You are his bond servant. And as a bond servant of Christ, what you need to be thinking about is what can I do to please God? And that may involve distressing yourself. Are you following what I'm saying? Enduring pressure is an accomplishment of the sufferings of Christ. When you answer to another, this is one thing I wrote in my notes. When you answer to another, there is a pressure that comes from seeking to please him and not to please yourself. Making choices that are not convenient for yourself, but for the sake of obeying the one who you have surrendered your will to. Have you surrendered your will to God? Your choices are going to put pressure on you. Hallelujah. Let's look at this scripture in 2 second, second, uh, Corinthians. And then we will end it there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you are leading a pressure-free life as a Christian, then either you are a baby Christian who will grow to now see that the Christian life is not all candy. Or maybe if you are not a baby Christian and you've been around for a while, then you are living below the level you are supposed to live. 2 Corinthians 1, starting from verse 3. If Jesus Christ had distresses, if Jesus Christ had pressure, you and I are going to have pressure as believers. One man of God, God called him to go to uh, South, Af South Africa. And whilst he was there, he said, God gave them a home to live in. He and his wife and seven children. He said he was living in the attic. He said in the attic... In the summer, it says the place was hotter than the seven, uh, uh, seven times uh, over in that they put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And in the winter, it said the place was freezing. But that was the place he was sleeping. Hallelujah. Because his calling required him to endure that for Christ's sake. But he said, a lot of my revelations 
That is where they were born out of. Most of us are not going to be sleeping in some God-forsaken attic in South Africa. But a little suffering may be required of you. A little pressure on your life because of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 and 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. All right. Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, Paul is speaking here. And comfort is needed because we would have trouble. Amen. Then he said, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Okay, let's jump to verse 8, where I'm going to end. This is Apostle Paul speaking. He said, brethren, we don't want you to be what? Ignorant of, of what? Of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. This is Apostle Paul. He said we were burdened beyond measure. Was he burdened for his, um, for his business? You know, Paul was a tent maker. And when you are in business, sometimes there are burdens that come with the business. But Paul was in Asia not for his own agenda, for God's agenda. But he became what? Burdened. He said we were burdened beyond measure. In other words, there is not a word that can describe how we were burdened. Another word for burden is pressure. Hallelujah. You see, when you're following Christ, it does not mean you will not come under pressure. And sometimes, people who don't understand, they may stand by, they may, they may make you feel that what you're going through, either you have sinned some sins, or God is no more with you. No. Apostle Paul was a follower of Christ. He had given up his life for the gospel. But he said, we were burdened beyond measure. He said, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Hallelujah. I pray that we don't come to the point of being despairing even of life. But this is being written so that if because of Christ, we come to a place of pressure, we come to a place of, then you begin to ask yourself, why are all these things happening to me? One lady, she got, she got born again, gave her life to Christ. Then, the following week, her husband came home and found her praying and said, you know what, if you're going to follow this uh, uh, Jesus freaks, I'm leaving you. The husband left. The next week, her very good friend, who she would have gone to discuss her issues with, got insane, got mad, lost her mind. Then the next week, her mother also got born again. And when the mother got born again, the, um, the stepfather also left her. And so this, this woman, she came to the pastor. He said, look. When I was in the world, life was a whole lot better. I mean, just one little step that I took to follow Christ, look at what is happening to me. I'm about to quit. And then, and then the man of God said, you know what? Stay on and have the victory for two weeks. After two weeks, I give you permission to backslide. That's what the man of God told, told, told her. But within those two weeks, the, the friend who had lost her mind, God healed her. Amen. Are you listening to me? And then, when the healing came, a lot of people started bringing sick people to her. She began to minister to them. The husband who left didn't come back. But God occupied her with something that she considered much more worthwhile. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? So after two weeks, the minister met her and said, Okay, you, you had the victory for two weeks. I'll give you permission to backslide. She said, No, I'm not going to backslide. I am staying. 
Amen. Amen. When you are following God, sometimes a time of testing comes. And this time of testing is supposed to see what is inside of you. When you are pressured, when you are tossed to and fro, that is the time that what all the faith you have accumulated over the years, that is when it is being tested. Hallelujah. Someone is a Lord. You seem to trust me too much because it is said somewhere that God will not let too much, what you cannot bear come to you. Lord, don't trust me too much. I cannot handle too much of that. Hallelujah. We can talk back to God and ask for help. But please understand that part of your calling is distresses and pressures for the sake of Christ. Put your hands together unto the Lord. Let's rise up to our feet. If you have not made that decision to follow Christ, that is to surrender your life to him, make him Lord and Savior of your life. I want to implore you, now is a good time to do that. If you are that person, you've never made that decision to be born again, to give your life to Christ. The Bible says, all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that there is not even one righteous, but the Bible has a remedy. It said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm imploring everyone who is not born again to start your journey with Christ, make him your Lord and Savior right now. If you are a believer, but you have wandered away from God, God wants you to come back home to reconcile to him. God is a good God. He is a good God. He does not ever want the destruction of a sinner or a backslider. He wants you to be at peace with him. He's been looking over and waiting for the day you will come back in. If you are a believer, with every eye closed, with every head bowed, and you want to come back to God, you want to rededicate your life to God, lift up your hand. Thank you, most glorious one. We love you. Thank you, everlasting Father. We appreciate you. Now pray along with me. Thank you, my Savior, for life, for grace, for the blood of Jesus, for the blood of sprinkling. Thank you for saving me. For I believe Christ died for me and that he rose again from the dead to justify me. I need your grace to walk in his footsteps and to take my part in the sufferings of Christ so I can share in his glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may take your seat as we get ready to bring the Lord our second offering and our tithes, our